so we talked about the first time you see your name in the credits on on the episode right you remember how young you were at that point i can't remember if i asked you that 19 and i do remember by the way because that same episode i was telling you about the the team homer the director mark kirkland threw this is back when like everybody was still so excited for every episode coming out yeah. they would throw a party we threw a bowling party at oh, Pickwick Bowl in Burbank, where the crew, we all went bowling, and what, they, we talked them into putting the episode on the TVs, and we all sat and watched the episode, and that's when I saw my name in the credits for the first time, and that guy cried. It was, like, yeah, so man. emotional, I couldn't believe it. I gotta imagine, man, like I said, you're coming from, like, I want to do this. I, I draw on the character's favorite show, you get on it, you start working, and then you see your name in your credits, right? So flash forward a couple years. Take that feeling you were just talking about. Hold on to it for just a second, because we're going to see belts on, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, movie comes out, right, a few years later. You see your name again, but it's on a bigger screen. Which one was more emotionally, mentally, spiritually, however, you know, douchey you want to get on it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, however, however sentimental you really want to get. Like, what was more what felt better? Was it that first episode of 19 you realized, like, oh, shit, I I did, mom. Look, we made it, right? Or was 100%. it seen on the big screen? One hundred percent the episode, season seven yeah. episode. One hundred percent. Nothing. Not that the movie wasn't exciting, but like, yeah, that was still when I was just, you know, that new part, new animator smell. Like, just, <laughs> I was, like I said, I was always pinching myself to the end. But yeah, at a certain point, you get a little jaded and you get a little used to it. Not saying that the movie wasn't exciting. I think the movie itself too was such a difficult experience that I didn't have the same joy. Like I loved every minute of working on this show. The movie was rough. It was just a different process and um, not, not super, super stoked with how it came out. I think it was good. <laughs> I think we all wanted it to be, you know what happened? I think the, I think South Park beat us to it. I think South Park did what we should have done. South Park, the South Park movie. Yeah, bigger, longer. South Park movie did everything you couldn't do on the show. And more importantly, they spoofed the Disney musical. It was brilliant. It was exactly what they should have done. And they did it brilliantly. I still, to this day, will tell anyone my favorite animated movie of all time, the South Park movie. Just brilliantly. The Simpsons movie, I think, would have been that. But because they didn't want to just do what South Park did, they just, they, they, they just tried different stuff, and, 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 and what, what, I don't know, I mean, I could ask everybody, they're going to have a different opinion, but I think the movie ended up being good, but it wasn't amazing, it wasn't groundbreaking, it just kind of felt like a, a, a long episode that was good, a little more polished. So I think maybe that's why, you know, after just physically, after a year of hell, and like seeing it, how it came out okay, or maybe I just was like, had seen it too many times, but when it finally came out, I think I was just kind of like, alright, I'm glad this is done. Yeah. <laughs> can i just go back to the regular show uh, hey guys it's your host julian this week i sit down with brad abelson a simpson storyboard artist and the co-director of the minions movie dropping into theaters july 1st we chat about his humble beginnings from simpsons fanatic to working on his favorite show what it was like seeing his name in the credits for the first time the difficulty of working on the simpsons movie and how he was chosen to help bring our banana loving minions to the big screen enjoy the show Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Mr. Brad Abelson. Brad, how are you, sir? Awesome, man. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic, man. I've really been looking forward to this one. Uh, your name came up 
when I had Tom Cito on, an old professor of yours. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that he was an old professor because you were in the class, man. But uh, he <laughs> came in and he was like, I had this guy on there. I can't remember how we got onto it. We started talking about the Simpsons and uh, your name came up and he was like, yeah, I had this, I had this student and I was talking to him one day. He's like, I'm going to work on the Simpsons. And then he was like, you should probably have a backup plan. He's like, no, 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 Brad, I'm Brad. I'm, I'm going to work on the Simpsons. This is what I'm going to do. And then you fucking made it happen. You willed yourself into the job you've always wanted, man. What does that feel like, dude? Wow. I don't remember it quite like that. I don't know that I was that confident. It was actually more, I think, Tom's encouraging me that I even had a shot that I did it. I, I went to film school at USC with no plan on being in animation because I didn't even know you could do that. I was, I was the biggest Simpsons fan ever. Yeah. Um, I didn't know you could work on your favorite show. It was just too abstract to me. I went to film school because that seemed like more practical. Mm -hmm. And But I would draw The Simpsons for fun all the time. And I took Tom's animation class and I took another class from this guy named Mario Lapano. And these guys could see how much I loved The Simpsons and how I was constantly drawing The Simpsons. And they both said, like, you should just apply for a job on The Simpsons. Like, you got nothing to lose. And I was like, you can do that? And they're like, yeah. You, like, you can already draw these characters with your eyes closed. Like, they're not that complicated. So long story short, yeah, I just, uh, it was like summer between my sophomore and junior year. And I just, on a whim, applied. I mean, I can tell you the full story if you want. But basically, I applied and I got it. And I think the main reason I got it wasn't because I was that good. I certainly didn't have any training. It was mostly because I was such a fan. And I don't think you, I, I think that was obvious when I came in. I think a lot of people try and play it cool. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, want to be a Disney animator, but you know, I figured I'd, I'd, you know, slum it here on the Simpsons. Like for me, that was the other way around. It's like, this is the ultimate. I can't even believe I'm in the building where my favorite show is made. I was literally like shaking being in the building where my where i knew that like downstairs they were like animators working on the simpsons and they had like cells on the wall i was freaking out just being there and i think i you know the this receptionist had had told me just bring in your portfolio and drop it off and then we'll see what happens and so i didn't even know what a portfolio was i knew, i understood that it was like you know my a collection of my artwork but i didn't know it was like a leather bound formal thing i just brought in a like a like a grocery bag filled with <laughs> t-shirts that I designed for like fraternity parties and like, you know, college sports teams and a VHS tape of some just crappy like Simpsons cartoons that I had done as a fan. And the um, receptionist called over this lady named Phyllis Craig, who's like a legend in the industry. At the time, she was very old, like very old. She was like in her 70s or 80s. And she's a former Disney artist who had who was working at film Roman and she was in charge of hiring and she had a knack for like identifying talent. And so this receptionist called Phyllis over to, to look at my portfolio, my bag of crap. And she was like, Oh, sweetie, like this isn't a portfolio. And she showed me what a portfolio looks like. She's like, you need to go out and take some life drawing classes and bring in a leather bound portfolio. Basically told me, you know, get like, good. yeah, like cute, cute attempt kid. But like, this is, you know, <laughs> you know, this, you're not ready for capital city, but I did exactly what she asked. I immediately took a drawing, like a life drawing class. I, I had no money. So I went and shoplifted like a portfolio, like a hundred dollar portfolio from Aaron brothers. 
And I came back like a month later with what she asked for. And I think she was just impressed with how excited I was and what a fan I was and how like willing I was to do whatever it took. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically got the job. I also slept with her, which didn't hurt. <laughs> joking i did not oh man I'm, I'm cutting out the joking part <laughs> <laughs> no i i somehow got that job i think again based on my enthusiasm more than my skill um and they threw me in the deep end and i managed to somehow pull it off and you know i ended up working there for 20 years Dude, but it was but back to the original question yes it was because Tom, Cito, and my other professor, Mar, who who were the ones who said, like, go for it. You can already draw these characters. Like, it, you got nothing to lose. And they were right. That's, that's such a cool story. I mean, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, oh, like... yeah. I mean, the other crazy thing is once I got the job, I was like, well, I don't need film school anymore. Like, I, I have the dream job. Yeah. And the same lady, Phyllis, was the one who said, you know, like, going to film school at USC is going to make you a better animator. You don't want to just bail. What if, what if we let you work part-time? I had two years left, like the main two years of this film program as your junior and senior year. So she's like, what if we let you work part-time on the Simpsons while you finish school? And I was like, if you're cool with that, I'm cool with that. So I, that's what I did. It was, it was insane. I didn't sleep for two years, but I got to do, I mean, I was doing the coolest thing I could do. I was working on my favorite show and I was, in film school and and she was right like everything i was learning in film school was helping me on the simpsons and everything i was looking on learning in the simpsons was helping me in film school so by the time i graduated two years later without even realizing it i had been sort of like trained or like perfectly like kind of primed to become a director which is what i ultimately wanted to be um but i went into storyboarding which i'm sure you know in animation and tv animation is is kind of the closest thing to directing because you get to really uh go right you know you get the script and you get to go right to like coming up with the shots and the cuts and the staging and the the acting and so storyboarding was the best training i could have possibly done do do that's what i ended up doing for the majority of my 20 years and i was um I, honestly i mean nothing against the directors the directors and the simpsons are brilliant but they all have to take one episode from like the very beginning of the process all the way to the end and there's so many moving parts and so many people that they manage that sometimes unless they don't sleep, like they don't get to really get their hands dirty directing, directing mm -hmm. storyboarding is like just the purest expression of just like creating comedy. So I had that opportunity to, to just keep doing boards and, and I learned so much from the directors and everybody on the Simpsons. And it was, it was a dream. So much fun. That's so dope, man. I, I always love because you hear, so often people chase a dream or people want to do something and then it, it takes a lot of skill it takes a lot of luck too a lot of people won't tell you that it take you got to be in the right place at the right time yeah. you've got to drop the right name you got to know the right person there's so like everything has to line up for for something you know along the line like i said you got to put in the work you had to go and you had to go and five finger just lift something bro to, to get a portfolio <laughs> you came in with a bag I love like the uh, the innocence that 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 shows, man. He's just some young kid. Where are you from originally? I'm from Thousand Oaks, which is a, is like a suburb outside of L.A. Mm -hmm. It's funny, like basically growing up near L.A., you would think I would have all these like connections. I didn't know a soul in the industry. Yeah. It was so foreign <laughs> to me walking into that studio for the first time. But it, it it's it just it's like you're a, a 
we can all remember when we were 19. I mean, I try to forget. I'd look at pictures of what I used to wear at 19. And I'm like, dude, I would have kicked my own ass, man. I don't what the <laughs> hey, pretty much. I had friends. Why didn't they tell me? Right. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just bringing in that, that portfolio and then you putting in the work. One thing I did want to circle back to, uh, whenever I've heard animators talk, when they, when they have their portfolio showings, they all, I've always heard, they said, don't do Mickey Mouse. Don't do the Simpsons. Don't do established characters. Did they tell you that when they brought, when you brought back your portfolio? I, I think so. I've definitely given that advice because over the years I've reviewed so many portfolios and yeah, the thinking is like, don't draw the character of the job you're applying for because nobody is going to know better than those hire those people hiring on the Simpsons, what the Simpsons looks like. Yeah. No one's going to know better. And in no matter how good you think you are, you're not, you're not nailing it. Mm -hmm. And there's a little more to the story I told. Like I also had to take a test where they did give me a scene from the Simpsons. It wasn't quite as simple where you just, I just got hired. I had, I, I, the portfolio was step one. And then it was, they gave me a test. And had I taken that test completely on my own with any help, I never would have gotten hired. What happened was they let me, you know, get help from one of the, the young animators. And it actually, it's funny, it happens to be one of my best friends, this guy named Alex Ruiz, who had just started a few months before me. But, I, you know, they were just trying to throw me a bone and give me a little guidance. Had I not gotten help from him, and then same with every other person, had, had the people who, who applied, had, had, the ones who don't get any help probably never get hired. Cause there's just a thousand things you can do wrong. Yeah. So a lot of the people, a lot of the people who are taking the test get paired up with someone to just give them a little help. You gotta be careful not to do it for them. But mm -hmm. this guy, Alex helped me. And that's, I think how I ended up getting hired is I, 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 you know, again, he didn't do the work for me, but like he kept me from making some like dumb yeah. mistakes. Everybody's got to have a mentor, man. Everybody's got to have somebody that, I mean, you guys just don't come in straight and then you're animating on Treehouse of horror, man. You got to start, Oh, you got to work your way up. You got to prove yourself. It's just like with any, with anything that's a craft-based program or a craft-based shit. I can't talk tonight. A craft-based uh, uh, a job a profession was the uh, more appropriate word I was looking for. So <laughs> somewhat astute. You yeah, you know, so uh, it, it's just interesting to see, you know, what people set out, like what really gets them out of bed in the morning. You, it was the Simpsons, you know, for some oh, people, yeah. It might just be like, fuck, dude, I don't know. I want to deliver papers in a DeLorean, and that's what they're going to chase. They're going to fucking <laughs> Marty McFly the shit out of it, man. So chase your dreams, ladies and gentlemen, because Brad is a perfect example of what you have. <laughs> Hard work, man, and perseverance, and just keep pushing through. What was Thanks. it like seeing your name in the credits on the show that you absolutely loved for the first time? It was nuts. My very first episode was season seven. It was called Team Homer. I don't know how well you remember the Simpsons, but it was one where the uh, Homer and uh, Apu and I think it was Skinner and Otto become like a bowling team and they go up against Mr. Burns. And um, that was my first episode. I ended up, you know, it was when I was brand new. I sucked so bad. Like I went, everybody does when they start. It's funny. You go from being the best artist amongst your, you know, wherever you're from. Like I was the best artist in my high school. At college, amongst my friends, every I was the guy who could draw. You know, I get to Simpsons, I'm immediately the worst person there. I had so much to learn. So basically, like working on that episode, the assistant director that was directed by Mark Kirkland, who's like a legend, who's probably I think even now has directed more episodes than anybody. He was really great, but like his assistant director, this guy named Matt Nastuck, who's still there as a director, 
is the one who really trained me. Like he, he could tell I sucked and I had so much to learn and he went over everything with me and he was so patient with me. And if it wasn't for him, I would have easily gotten fired. But like, there's a lot of, a lot of great people like that on the Simpsons who they just put in the time and the work to train you because they can tell either you have the potential or you love it or they're just good people who are trying to do that. But yeah, it would never have lasted if it wasn't for, for Matt Nastek putting in the time to train me. And I have a funny story about that first episode and, and Matt um, amongst amongst a couple of dudes who enjoyed d- dirty dirty uh, humor. I um, you asked you know what's it like to have my name in the credits? That was amazing. But what I really wanted to do naively was that thing that you read about with like all the Disney movies where you sneak in something dirty into the background. Yeah. That was for me. That was the dream. I'm like if I, I got to sneak something in here. So I was animating this scene on my very first episode, so dumb, of uh, Otto the bus driver. He's he's using one of those claw machines, you know, those like in the arcade, those machines that you to get a stuffed animal. He's trying to get this thing, and I had to draw. I had to draw everything. I had to draw him and the claw, but I also had to draw all the little stuffed animals that are like packed into the machine. And like there wasn't a design for it. They were just like draw simple shapes, you know, little, you know, teddy bears and fish and stuff. And so in the corner of the screen, I thought, okay, if I draw a little penis, a super simple penis, no one will notice. It'll be so simple. It'll be off in the corner where you don't even notice it. But I'll be able to tell my friends, look, I hit a wiener in there. So I drew a penis in there. It went unnoticed all the way to Korea where they, you know, ink and paint the, 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 um, the everything. And some poor Korean animator must have noticed it and pointed it out to their supervisor. That supervisor pointed it out to their supervisor. It got all the way to the like head of the studio in Korea, who then called Fox, who then called Film Roman, who it all basically came down to the new guy who was hiding a penis in the scene. And again, my mentor, this guy Matt Nastuk, who was just like the greatest dude, totally took a bullet for me and said, yeah, it's kind of, you know, I w- it, it, w- it was sort of my fault. Like, we, we goof around and draw, like, kind of, like, you know, raunchy stuff. Like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, you know, don't fire the kid. Basically, like, yeah, he, he saved my ass. Or I would have been fired. Um, so the wiener never made it in there. But, uh, you know, I somehow have, have, have found other ways to, to create, you know, <laughs> subversive entertainment over the years. So you remember Superbad? Of course. Were you Jonah Hill? You Simpsons, I, Simpsons did it, bro. That was me. That was I, when that, when that movie came out. Everybody saw that scene, and they're like, "That was little Brad, huh?" I was like, one hundred percent. Always drawing, probably drawing more butts than anything else. I'm like definitely known for drawing inappropriate stuff. So it's a miracle so, I've made it in the business this long. So I. <laughs> trash bags to wieners man that's your <laughs> that's the name of your memoir right your biography um what was it what was it like that well i guess when when you get that first wiener and you get that did it did, did you get an ass che- <laughs> was your ass chewed or was you like hey man just don't do it again it's, it's always interesting to see uh fuck dude i can't remember who oh it was floyd norman right yeah, Disney legend. I think it was Frank Thomas that called him into the office and he dressed him up and down. He was like an hour and a half. I was in there and I got yelled at and yelled at. Yeah. And, yelled at. and he was like, that was the first and most memorable time. So was that the first? I'm assuming that was the first time you got your ass chewed on the show. But was that the most memorable ass chewing you got on the show? 
Yeah, I learned my lesson. I mean, they they were cool about it. No one yelled at me. It was more like, come on, come on, dumbass. Like, this draw the dick smaller next time. On like national television, like. <laughs> but no, they were cool about it, but I don't think I ever didn't. I never tried to sneak anything in after that. I I managed to honestly like. It's gonna sound funny, but like I managed to make a name for myself as the butt guy after that. Yeah. Like any butt jokes. Even the directors were like, we got to give it to Brad. Like, Bart Mooning was my signature drawing. Like, even, yeah. even like, between seasons, I would work on, like, uh, like the, the licensing and merchandising. Like, your T-shirt that you're wearing. Like, somebody had to draw that. Yeah. Every magazine yeah. article, every toy that has an image on it, someone had to draw that. And so I was, between seasons of The Simpsons, would work on these, they're called style guides, where I would draw just tons of different images of characters in different situations that could be used on T-shirts and mugs. And I drew a Bart Mooning, which has been used on thousands of T-shirts and toys and everything. That's become my, like, icon. And so, yeah, even since, even on the show, like, when there'd be a joke, like, there was an episode that Mel Gibson was, like, the guest star, where him and Homer are, like, staring down this car that's driving at them. And Homer and Mel Gibson decide, we're going to moon them and, like... I don't remember exactly how the joke all worked, but somehow by mooning them, they were going to be able to stop this car. So sure enough, like they gave me this scene where I got to draw them. I got to draw Mel Gibson and Homer wiggling their butts until this car ends up slamming right into Homer's butt. And I think the final that gag was like the 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 car was like wedged into his butt, <laughs> and Homer's like, "Am I, I going to make it?" or something like that. Anyways, like it was it's it's crazy that I get to like draw that stuff and get paid. Um, so much fun like it was it's just it was just a dream it's the american dream man god bless <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> absolutely that's phenomenal man uh so with that being said when you're on this show how often do you have to pinch yourself when you're first starting out that first year how, how often do you be like fuck dude is this is this real is somebody playing a joke on me or what was that first year like for you on the simpsons it was every minute pinching myself i mean i honestly like for 20 years, I was pinching myself. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, of course, like anything, you have your rough times and you're working, pulling all-nighters and you're frustrated and you got other things going on in your life. But I think I, I, th I even kind of had a rule for myself. Every day when I'd walk in, we had a mural of The Simpsons right in front of our door where you had to use your little key card to get in the building. <laughs> I had a habit of every day just taking a quick moment, even if it was like, just a, like that, you know, just a quick moment to remember, like, I'm working on The Simpsons. Like, you Sammy sosa the film Roman, bro. I did. I did. Every day I'd pass that mural and just, even if it was just that one quick moment, I just would remember how lucky I was to be working on my favorite show. That's so cool, um, man. Because there, there's so many times where I've sat back and I've listened to animators, writers, voice actors. He's like, we didn't appreciate this when we were going through it. He was like, now that I've had a 20, 30, 40, I'd talk to Phil Roman not too long ago yeah that man I mean, I mean, a national treasure right yeah. roman i mean just listening to his stories but it was the same thing with him he's like he's like i get to sit back and appreciate it now like we talked to grinch for quite some time yeah. and uh he every single word out of his mouth he's like i was grateful he was like i great i got to meet chuck jones i got to work for chuck i got to work for my hero he's like i got to work with my hero he's like the greatest validation and i think it's like the first 10 minutes of the episode and he was, he was uh, the greatest validation I had. He, he was like, Chuck Jones was looking over, 
over the drawings and he was like who did this and he was like i was standing behind him he's like i did and he looked back and he's like you're an animator and he was nice. like that made my entire life and i'm sitting there i'm trying because i'm i don't know if it's the weed i don't know if it's the age i don't know what it is but like when i start hearing stories like this i was getting sentimental so my eyes were my eyes were starting to you know water up i was like god damn it i was like tighten up i don't want phil to think i'm a pussy so stop it stop crying right so but you know just listening to you guys i've had three of you guys on now from the simpsons i've had you i've had phil and then i had sean cashman right yeah and uh sean was one of the guys that actually wrote in so he wanted me to tell you hi man dude um, love sean sean's the one who gave me the job that i was telling you about doing with the 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 product design and the licensing and merchandising he was overwhelmed one year and he's just like man do you want to help me with this stuff and that's, it's funny because of Sean, I started doing that stuff in between seasons during hiatuses and the two women I used to work for, Gail Harrison and Claudia Melnick over at Fox are now, are who hired me on to Minions. I mean, we're skipping way ahead, but it's all because of Sean and the Simpsons that I ended up getting my Minions gig. It's full so all, it all starts with the Simpsons. It's funny. It's full yeah, circle. Sean's, Sean's the coolest dude. Yeah, talking to him, he was really funny. I loved hearing his stories. Um, we're going to do something with Sean here soon. We're going to have uh, three of the the directors. You ever watch Billy and Mandy, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy? I'm, I know the show, but I don't think I've seen a lot of it. Man, it's a phenomenal show. Uh, so we're going to have three of them on. We're going to do a roundtable discussion. It might uh, might come out later in the year. But uh, uh-huh. nonetheless, man, uh, what was it like seeing the first time you saw any kind of merchandise with your drawing? Well, before we get to that, that picture, the profile pictures you sent me for the thumbnails make complete sense now with you sticking your head through an ass. I was, <laughs> yep. I was like, this is because when you sent it to me, I was like, this is, I'm going to like this. I'm going to like talking to this guy because this guy's got the same sense of humor. He's like, it's like, it, like you sent me the mullet of photos, right? You sent me the, the, business, the business side with you and, you know, your, your regular one. And then you sent me the party side, which is, you know, so. A little you disappointed you didn't use the party side, but I, it's all good. Well, I was, I was thinking about it. I'm like, man, I'm going to get more questions about why is he sticking his head through the ass? <laughs> and why is, why is this guy coming on to talk about the Simpsons with you? So I, I was like, man, so I flipped a coin. Any Anytime, anytime I have like a tough decision where it's a 50, 50, I can go either way with it. I was like, what do I do? What do I do? Everybody's like, well, just sleep on it. I'm like, I'm a flip a coin because at the end of the day, if it heads, it's cool, man, because it's like, oh, it's meant to be, but if it's tails and it doesn't work out, I get to blame the coin and not <laughs> decision-making. Right. Yeah. So it, it works the out. I was probably right. Because like yeah. I said earlier, I still, I'm, I'm working for a family company right now on the minions. I got to be real careful about what I put out there. So you, you picked the, you actually picked the correct photo. Oh, that's a good thing, man. So you were handing me the red or the blue pills, some matrix shit going on. So I appreciate exactly. it. Yeah, it was, it was a, a test. test. It was a test. Uh, but yeah, man. So what was it like? Do you remember the first time you saw a piece of your drawing on a piece of merchandise? Was it a t-shirt? Was it a coffee cup poster? I know it's a long time to probably remember back then, but. I don't remember the first thing, but I definitely am most proud of the, the, Bart's butt thing, like the yeah. Bart moving thing. I love that it shows up everywhere. And it shows up in the most random places, like, you know, like it, it gets used on like television promos. It gets used on T-shirts, mugs, print ads, posters. It's the best. <laughs> so I didn't so- even think they'd use it, too. There's, It's one of those things. That's kind of one of my things is I always push it as hard as I can. And I don't expect a lot of that stuff to make it through. But every now and then it does. Um, you know, the Simpsons used to be a lot edgier. Like they would do, I don't know if you remember, like 
old Simpsons, Bart would moon constantly. I mean, it was it was kind of his thing. That's why I love Bart. And uh, around, I don't know what year that whole Janet Jackson Super Bowl thing happened. It was what, 2000, 2000-ish, yeah. Literally that year when that happened, everything changed. We suddenly on The Simpsons decided... I say we like the powers that be decided we're no longer going to do not only are we going to no longer do like Bart mooning we're not even going to show butt cracks like I used to draw anytime Homer would be bending over of course there's a butt crack yeah they started cracking down no no pun intended <laughs> cracking down on butt cracks and I think it still may be that way I haven't worked on the Simpsons in probably like seven or eight years but they definitely changed, and I think it all had to do with, first of all, it had to do with that Janet Jackson Nipplegate thing, and I think that was also around the time that Family Guy was really kicking ass and being really edgy, which they still are, and I think the Simpsons at the time, again, the powers that be, decide, they, they kind of made a choice. They're like, do we want to like go toe-to-toe and get really crass and lowbrow with Family Guy, or do we want to kind of see if we can stand on our own? with the intelligent humor and they, you know, they, they drew their line in the sand and that was probably the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it all changed with, with Nipplegate. Man, Nipplegate. What a time to be alive, Brad. I know. I think I was 12. I, we, I'm glad you told me just a minute ago you're on the menus. So I was going to say something, but I was like, nah, I don't want to get Brad. I, they can't cancel me, Brad. I just talk for them. <laughs> yes, and I cook, I cook for a living. I don't want them to take it out on you. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> He brought up Family Guy. I can't remember who I had that talk with. Um, it was one of the other two guys that was on The Simpsons. Um, but when you guys are working and it's extremely competitive with you guys, Family Guy, and South Park at the time, the crossovers, not the crossovers, but everybody's individual episode where they were jabbing at each other. Oh, yeah. Some great. of my favorite times. And then you find out the Family Guy writers are manatees, right? So oh, Brilliant. Brilliant. What is it like in the the artist room, the writer's room? What is it like in meetings? What is it like at the studio where you've got three of the funniest animated cartoons of all time and everybody's shitting on each other, but they're doing it in a playful way because iron sharpens iron, right? Yes. So if, if South Park's doing great, like Simpsons, like, oh, fuck, I got to step it up. They Family Guy sees the Simpsons stepping up, like, oh, shit, we've got to step it up twice now because we've got to step over South Park. So <laughs> what is the energy or the tempo? Like, what is that era like, if you can remember that time? Yeah, honestly, I think we're all fans of each other. We all know a lot of the same people who, you know, end up working on the other shows. Um Personally, I love both of those shows. Like, the more great animation that's out there, the better for all of us. So I don't remember there being any hostility. You know, there's a little bit. I remember a little bit at the beginning of Family Guy being like, hey, it's just The Simpsons, but, it, like, with more flashbacks. And it's like, well, Simpsons <laughs> is just every every other sitcom. Like, we're all kind of a carbon copy of each other. Yeah. Um, Family Guy quickly kind of made their own niche for, for what they do. And I feel like, you know, clearly they've, been able to coexist uh, uh, fruitfully for f- 20 years now. Um, the the South Park episode, that the Simpsons did it episode, I, I think we all took that as a compliment. I mean, yeah. it was basically a testament to how long we'd been around and how we've done every story you can possibly do. And the Simpsons writers probably laughed even harder because, like, they, they deal with that themselves. Like, they're the ones who, you know, have to realize oh we can't do another episode about this happening because we just did it in season 22 you know so like we it's it's a it's a great joke 
but the one, the Family Guy one, where they they sort of outed every out of the writers as basically a bunch of manatees who push idea balls from pool to pool. I mean, oof! I was on Family Guy, but I was like, damn! Like shots fired. It's kind of hard to argue with that. Like the, the that's that it sometimes feels that random, but damn it, if that show doesn't make me laugh my ass off, so good for them. And it's like it's all it's all good. I I think it's all good. Yeah, as a as a fan, it was fun because it was like watching a a not a sitcom. I can't think of the term, but you know, a show that's got episodes that each one like something like Ozark, right? So you would watch Simpsons, and you knew beforehand because this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is back when you had TV Guide, right? You had the 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 TV Guide channel, not just the button. You could hit Guide and you look, and then whenever you would switch to the, it was channel. Uh, what was it? Was it channel? No, it wasn't channel thirteen. I think it was channel ten, or it was channel like fourteen, or some shit like that by me. Uh, and you would turn that shit on because you would want to see what was what was coming up next, and it had all all the little descriptions, so you would see. You know, when you're planning out your you're planning out your day, right? You're planning out your night for whatever you're gonna watch. You would see like, oh, this is where they take the shot at Family Guy, or this is where you take the shot at The Simpsons, or vice versa. And I'm like, ooh, it's going to be a good night, or it's gonna be a good <laughs> night, right? So I'm sitting here, I'm just watching it, and it was like everybody was tipping their cap to each other, and like I said, it was very playful, it was very fun, yeah. and for us as fans, it was a blast because it was like the first time you see a multiverse, right? Yeah, like, well. If they're acknowledging each other then that means they must be in the same you know the same universe and i was like it'll never happen but i was like man it would be so cool when i was a little kid to think like oh shit all th- all of these then they could bring in king of the hill because it's done at the same studio then they could yeah. bring in futurama what the fuck I, my mind was blown as a little kid bro is what i'm saying i'm blinking but didn't they do that with the simpsons and family guy there was yes. a was it a whole episode or was it just like a couch gag I don't, I think, I know they for sure did a couch gag, but they might have also done a mashup. You remember when the Jetsons met the Flintstones? Yeah, yeah. Like that in depth, but I want to say they were on there for at least a little bit, right? But I could blame it on the weed, ladies and gentlemen, not my heart. (laughs) I can't really, I can't really think that far back. I think you're right. They definitely did a crossover episode. And I'm trying to think if the Simpsons and the Futurama ever crossed paths. I think that was another one. They might have just done a couch gag. I don't know that they're ever really... They had, they, Bart, really- they had Bart dolls on the moon when Fry went to the moon for the first time. So they had uh, Bart Simpson dolls and they were pretty, there was a mountain of them too. So nice. I wonder if that was one of your designs, man. Maybe you made it on a Futurama and they took that, uh, they, th- they took that drawing of Bart and they put it on the moon. <laughs> That'd be, that would be an honor. I did a little bit of work on Futurama. Like I said, everybody who works on Futurama at one point worked on the Simpsons and vice versa. So I remember when that show first came out, the studio rough draft was overwhelmed just trying to like keep up and, and get the episodes done because there just wasn't enough artists at the time and so like most of us on the simpsons would freelance at night and work on futurama that was kind of cool because it's the same same style yeah what was uh obviously the simpsons was you know it wasn't is your favorite show but i mean what was it like working on same creator a lot of the same writers a lot of the same artists and stuff what was it like just making that transition for a little while for freelancing it was pretty, it was actually kind of on the low. <laughs> like I didn't officially work over there. It was more than one of those things where I would just like pick up some freelance after hours just to sort of lighten the load. But over time, I ended up working at Rough Draft on a couple of projects, the Simpsons movie. Yeah, so like yeah. Film Roman did the Sim, Film Roman has done the Simpsons for most of its run. But then when the Simpsons movie came up, they split the work between Film Roman and Rough Draft. So I ended up 
it was funny. It was like being in the military. I would, on that year of the movie, or maybe it was longer, from day to day, I didn't know where they were going to send me. Some days I'd be at Film Ramen, and I'd get a call halfway through the day, we need you over at Rough Draft. I'd go over to Rough Draft. I'd work there for anywhere from like a day to a week to a month, and then I'd get called to the Fox lot where they'd need help. They had like a little bungalow on the Fox lot where a bunch of us were working, and then I'd get, I, it was a crazy year after, after the stability of just being on the show and knowing my nine to fiver for decades working on the movie was crazy. It was so weird. But yeah, that's when I got to work with Rough Draft. And then after that, um, I did a pilot at Rough Draft, and that's a great studio too. Like they're, they're just killing it right now doing the new Disenchanted series. So like they just, they've got that, they've also got that Matt Groening style dialed in. Yeah, they really do, man. It's it's crazy to see. Like, there's a few creators out there that you can point to, Matt being one. Uh, I don't know if you know him. Craig McCracken is another mm-hmm. one. Um, and it's just each one has their style. But what I, what I love is, like, every time they – I don't want to say every time they touch something because I'm pretty sure for every one hit, they might have had, like, ten duds that they just couldn't do anything with, right? Okay. But what I'm getting at is, like, you can see – these yeah. guys go out there and create and it's like damn man they're still hungry they're still pushing yeah. they're still striving they're still trying to master that craft man so it, it's always cool to see that um when the movie comes up man you said it was crazy 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 year maybe a little bit more than a year uh when do you start hearing the rumblings like hey we're gonna do a movie and did you believe it because when i heard they were doing a movie i was like no they're not there's there's no way yeah it's funny you're right like people talked about it for decades until it finally happened um it happened kind of randomly and i got to be one of the very first people to work on it too me and this one other storyboard artist named christian roman who's who was on the simpsons forever and now he's over at pixar where the two first guys to get pulled in it was top secret too at the time like mm-hmm. i don't even think i was allowed to tell people on the simpsons that was just sort wow. of but i we were like working in this like secret room upstairs at film roman and it was just the two of us and david silverman storyboarding some early early scenes and it was crazy because on the show everything is so well scripted like you don't even start until the script is tight and you know exactly what you're doing and then you 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 work on it you you and then you're on to the next one on the movie there was like a really loose really rough script and we were like how do you how do you build a house without a blueprint like it was really weird but we were Working in a very different way, which I've come to learn now that I'm working in movies, is kind of typical in features that you always have a loose outline and you let the um, like the storyboarding process sort of inspire stuff visually. So that's what we did. We just kind of goofed around and riffed on stuff that constantly changed for those first few months until I think they finally officially like you know greenlit the movie and brought in a bunch of other artists. And then from there it was. Like I said, it was like a year or two of insanity because they really never had that script figured out. Like you, again, you would think like on the show, on The Simpsons, where they are able to write such tight episodes, they would just do the movie the same way. But no, like they, they just kind of left it loosey goosey, and we would try stuff, think it was working pretty well, and then the writers would see it and just like trash it and start over or change a lot of it, and you would just redo the same thing over and over again, and. Again, super frustrating when you're used to just kind of doing stuff normally, like once and then you're on to the next episode. But over time, I really saw the value in it and it made the movie that much better. And again, like in features that I've come to learn, that's just how it is. It's not efficient, but (laughs) it it leads to some pretty cool stuff, like, you know, interesting stuff. So 
this is going to sound weird, but uh, so do you have kids? I do. I have two daughters. Okay. Two daughters. Perfect. Man, I was hoping you're going to have two so it wouldn't have to be a hypothetical. But, <laughs> Which so, one would I save? <laughs> we're not going to get that dark, man. Remember, min minions, minions, bro. Uh, but um, no. <clears throat> so we talked about the first time you see your name in the credits on, on the episode, right? You remember how young you were at that point? I can't remember if I asked you that. 19. And I do remember, by the way, because that same episode I was telling you about, the, the Team Homer, the director, Mark Kirkland, threw... This is back when, like, everybody was still so excited for every episode coming out, yeah. they would throw a party. We threw a bowling party at oh, Pickwick definitely. Bowl in Burbank, where the crew, we all went bowling, and what, they, we talked them into putting the episode on the TVs, and we all sat and watched the episode, and that's when I saw my name in the credits for the first time, and I think I cried. It was, like, yeah. so emotional, I couldn't believe it. I gotta imagine, man, like I said, you're coming from, like, I want to do this. I, I draw on the character's favorite show, you get on it, you start working, and then you see your name in your credits, right? So, flash forward a couple years. Take that feeling you were just talking about. Hold on to it for just a second, because we're going to see belts on, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, movie comes out, right? A few years later. You see your name again, but it's on a bigger screen. Which one was more emotionally, mentally, spiritually, however, you know, douchey you want to get on it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, however, however sentimental you really want to get. Like, what was more, what felt better? Was it that first episode of 19 you realized, like, oh, shit, I I did mom look we made it right or was it seen on the big screen percent the episode season seven yeah. episode 100 nothing not that the movie wasn't exciting but like yeah that was still when i was just you know that new car new animator smell like just <laughs> i was like i said i was always pinching myself to the end but yeah at a certain point you get a little jaded and you get a little used to it not saying that the movie wasn't exciting I think the movie itself, too, was such a difficult experience that I didn't have the same joy. Mm -hmm. Like, I loved every minute of working on this show. The movie was rough. It was just a different process. And um, not, not super, super stoked with how it came out. I think it was good. Mm -hmm. I think we all wanted it to be... You know what happened? I think, the, I think South Park beat us to it. I think South Park did what we should have done. South Park, the South Park movie. Yeah, bigger, longer. South Park movie did everything you couldn't do on the show. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, they spoofed the Disney musical. It was brilliant. It was exactly what they should have done. And they did it brilliantly. I still, to this day, will tell anyone my favorite animated movie of all time, the South Park movie. Just brilliant. Really? The Simpsons movie, I think, would have been that. But because they didn't want to just do what South Park did, they just, they, they, they just tried different stuff, and, 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 and what, what, I don't know. I mean, I ask everybody, they're going to have a different opinion, but I think the movie ended up being good, but it wasn't amazing. It wasn't groundbreaking. It just kind of felt like a, a, a long episode that was good, a little more polished. So I think maybe that's why, you know, after just physically, after a year of hell, like seeing it, how it came out okay, or maybe I just was like, had seen it too many times, but when it finally came out, I think I was just kind of like, all right, I'm glad this is done. Yeah. <laughs> can i just go back to the regular show uh it was rough so whenever i don't know what it was like for you but i got to imagine like your hometown if you were close or if you know your parents still live in your hometown when your name pops up in this episode sometimes you'll see like oh uh you know such and such simpsons animator right some something along those lines you know what i'm talking about i think so yeah 
Yeah. So whenever, whenever like small town place, right. You go yeah. home and he gets drafted to college and then he gets made to the NFL and they always reference that small town. Right. So when that name is popping up right in those shows and you're watching that, how many times did you go? The only reason I bring that up is because like people would buy the paper or the magazine or whatever oh, yeah. the article was, that their name was mentioned in. How many times did you watch that episode when it first aired, when you first saw that name? <laughs> Good question. I think at that point I was so over deep into just film school and working that I probably wasn't as obsessive as I used to be. I used to be that guy who I still have them. I would tape every episode on VHS and rewatch them over and over and over again. By the time I was working on the show, I just don't think I had the time to be that big of a nerd. <laughs> so probably <laughs> didn't rewatch it too many times, but it's in retrospect, now that I can like, cause the Simpsons has now been on for like 35 years. In retrospect, I'm able to look back and realize that I was there for the tail end of what I would consider, what most Simpsons fans would consider like the best years of the Simpsons. Yeah. Ask different fans, they're gonna tell you different things but for me and for i would say most simpsons fans the first 10 seasons were the best so i feel like i was really lucky to be in their season you know i started in season seven for for the tail end of like the best years why would why do you why do you say it was the best years um this is where i gotta be careful what i say well this is all you and your work on the show what's yeah. that yeah, hundred percent. We'll keep it as positive as possible. But you personally, as a person, like what what made it? And like I said, this podcast, I never try to shit on anything. Like usually, yeah. we'll just joke around, we'll play around, we'll be playful with it, and we'll say, "Oh, that sucked." Ha ha ha. The only thing that I ever really came out and shit on, and like I said uh, last couple episodes, I get shit on this for at least. I'm getting it once or twice a month. I'm getting some kind of message saying, "Hey, man, you really need to lay off Ren and Stimpy." Because I, I had this episode way back when. And I said, it was with Linda Siminski, the first one we did. I was like, I just, it wasn't for me. I was like, man, it was fucking boring. I just didn't get it. I was like four or five years old when I'm watching this. I'm like this. So I don't have that same emotion. Yeah, that's, that's fair. You Not know, everything's for everybody. Yeah, hundred percent. And then I was like, you know what? I, man, I shit on this. And I, there's so many people that reach out and they're saying, give it a shot, give it a shot, give it a shot. So I go back and I start rewatching it. It's still not for me. I've learned to like, distance myself something's not for me i'm just gonna say eh, it's fine it's for somebody else it's not made for me yeah i laughed quite a bit at ren and stimpy but it's just the same thing that i felt when i was little it's just not for me man and that's okay right so i always throw that out there we never try to shit on anything so this is just your personal you know opinion i'm trying to be as good for the <laughs> I possibly it. can here brad uh you know so what was it what gave you that reason your personal opinion you know, this is the kind of thing I could literally talk about for hours. So to keep it from being long-winded, and I do talk about, I have some hardcore Simpsons friends, like fan friends who either work on the show or work on Minions with me, who we have this debate. Um, but in the simplest terms, I would just say with anything great, it just, it, it, the, the, the level of enthusiasm from all the people involved, the artists, the writers, the producers, the cast, you just can't maintain that forever. I mean, the show's been on for 35-something years. It's older I'm than not saying time. it's bad. It's just different. Those first 10 years, I can say because I was there, everybody put 110% into everything. There wasn't a single night of the week, including weekends, that people weren't there late working. Not because they had to, because they wanted to. They wanted those episodes to be amazing. And I know the same thing was going on on the writing side. You could just feel it. Everybody loved it and was working their ass off to make it as good as they could make it. No one was being asked to stay late. Over time, people just naturally 
get married, have kids, like get hobbies. They just get tired. Like that, you can't maintain that pace forever. And so I think what happened is just like naturally, like people started just kind of like just looking for shortcuts. And I, I was guilty of it too, one hundred percent, totally guilty of it. I would just, like I couldn't work those hours anymore. So I started figuring out ways to just kind of do things a little simpler, a little little quicker, a little easier. That's good enough. You know, and I'm sure the same thing was going on on the writing side. And you could just kind of feel it. It wasn't that the show ever got bad. It just couldn't maintain that that uh, that level of quality. And it's just it's it's not that it's and again, it's not that it's bad. It's just different now. I think what happened is they is everybody, not just the art, the writers and the artists have had to realize they've had to like. um like bring in new people and the new people just they, they it, the dynamic just changes yeah um it's like saturday night live like you have your seasons that are just like amazing and then there's like a lull i think it's kind of the same way with the artists and the writers we just we, it, there's there's peaks and valleys but for the i feel like those first 10 years were just incredible i would even go so far as to say for me personally and this is where everybody has a different opinion seasons like one through five were like the best yeah um but yeah it was it was really special to be there for those years now this is something that i did with uh, a lot of a lot of animators are charles schultz fans the peanuts fans right so I, i've been a huge charles schultz fan my entire life uh, oh then i know who you need to interview next we can talk oh, yeah. about this either now or later but yeah oh it'll it'll, it'll come up man uh but i had the i had benjamin percy on benjamin percy that's the artist for uh Raymond Percy? What's that? Was, were you going to say Raymond Percy? No, I, I was going to say Benjamin Percy, but that's the artist for the Wolverine comic that's out right now. I told, man, if, okay. my brain, if my brain fucking worked for math, science, you know, computers, technology, I'd be in a mansion right now, Brad. But uh, I work, I cook for a living because it works for comic books, movies, and television. Um, but uh, no, it was Benjamin Clark, and uh, he's the curator over at the Charles Schultz Museum. And, uh, you know, his name came up and it always comes up with animators like he's like the inspiration or one of the inspirations for for so many people on here. Um, but uh, fuck, man, I can't remember the point I was going with this one. What were we just well, you're going to say something about like old school peanuts guys. And oh, I, thank I, I you. cut you off because I want to just tell you real quick. You need to interview Raymond Percy. Raymond Percy. You threw that name out. I thought maybe you meant Ra Raymond. He's. One of my best friends, we started the same day on The Simpsons. We we're both 19, 20 years old. He worked his way up to be a director on The Simpsons, and he's now directing Peanuts specials for Apple Plus. And he's the funniest dude ever. He also randomly is the voice of the sloth in Zootopia. Really? And just a hilarious dude who you should definitely have on the podcast. Like, he's really fun. Cool, man. I usually I usually save the animation recommendation where you guys throw a name out there on uh, who who do you think would have fun. Um, but man, we just killed two birds with one stone, man. I like that. My top pick. You want to <laughs> but uh, no, it was Benjamin. It was Benjamin Clark, and he's the curator for the Peanuts Museum, or Charles Schultz Museum. Um, and uh, I threw this question out there, and I was like, Hey, man, if you had somebody that hypothetical, if you had somebody that never knew the Simpsons were around, right? But him, it was for the peanuts. And you had to try to get them hooked on one episode. Mm. What episode would you throw out there and say, hey, this is probably going to get you hooked on this show? Oh, that's an easy question. I have my answer. I guess it's not for, like you're saying, Ren Snippy's not for everyone. This episode may not be for everyone, but for me, it's like my number one 
best episode of all time. I can't imagine it'll ever get replaced. And I would probably start with like if 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 a dude like you was like, I've never seen The Simpsons, Flaming Moe's. Flaming Moe's episode from I want to say oh, season like four the drink. or five. Yeah, the flaming drink. Like funniest, most perfect episode of all time. And it's about drinking. I mean, and it's got Aerosmith in it. What more do you need? <laughs> best episode. Best episode ever. For me. Man, that's really good. You've thrown out two impressions now. Who do you think you sound the most like? You threw out Homer a little bit earlier when he was like, oh, I see my butt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I tell you, the weed does two things, man. It either makes you really, really remember or it makes you really, really forget. Right now, I'm riding that train. Um, but, <laughs> I but can yeah, do it pretty much Hank Hill, too. Yeah, let me hear it. Damn it, Bobby. This isn't Tijuana. <laughs> that's good, man. But who on this? <laughs> I got to be real honest, man. So I've said this multiple times, so it's out there. I was always a King of the Hill guy over the Simpsons guy, but it's okay. only because my mom would not let me watch the Simpsons. There was a couple shows that I, I had to sneak around and watch. The Simpsons was one. So I'd be like one of those looking over my shoulder at mom's not here. I can get this in because she didn't want her son being quote unquote like that Bart Simpson. Right. So the butts <laughs> you were drawn, she didn't want me to be like him. Um, the other one was Rugrats. And then the uh, really? third one. The third one that I've brought up a few times was in Living Color. That was mm -hmm. one of my mom and my older sister's favorite shows, but it was for mm -hmm. sure just not made for me, man. It just it was not made for a little fucking six-year-old kid out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I had to run around and I had to avoid watching that or I had to watch it when they weren't there. Um, but King of the Hill was the one I was allowed to watch. Right? Yeah. I absolutely love this. And it's yeah. one of the few shows that I can sit there and be like, oh, they're halfway through this episode. I know exactly, like I said, brain works for some stupid shit. But I could, I could, it's one of those ones where I can fanboy out real hard. But mm -hmm. just like with so many things that you don't appreciate as a kid, when you get older, you start to associate. So I recently started watching The Simpsons with my kid and I'm like, fuck, man, I should have watched this a lot closer like I was watching King of the Hill because I looked at it and I'm like, all right, man, it's, it's humor. Okay, cool. King of the Hill's got better humor. And as I'm getting older, like I said, I think it's the weed, Brad. Uh, I start opening up and I drop these preconceived notions. I'm like, fuck, man. How did I forget this? I've seen this episode of The Simpsons. Flaming Moses is a fantastic one. I love the chiropractor one. Homer is a chiropractor. That one was super, super fun. Anything mafia related. We can get those mobsters in. I'm down. <laughs> um, but, but I start watching this with my oldest son. How old is your son? just turned 12 back in january and then Perfect we have, age, we have a 10 month old yeah it was the same age i wasn't allowed to watch the simpsons at it's the yeah. same age he is now and my mom will come over and she's like you want to watch that i'm like yeah this shit's funny and i was yeah. like you should see some of the anime he watches it's a lot worse than bart showing his ass man it's, right. it's crazy shit um but we're just sitting there and then uh it, it's weird like it's weird like i didn't have a dad growing up so i didn't have that that bonding with a kid right or yeah. with a dad. And then seeing that and having that, I just look back, I'm like, dude, this is like one of the coolest things ever is being a dad, getting to watch cartoons, sitting on the couch, doing nothing besides laughing at fucking just jokes and, and good times, man. And I got to imagine for you, man, it feels pretty good looking back like, oh, shit, the same feeling I get, I'm giving that to people, right? Does that, does that seem weird or does that sound? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my girls aren't really into that stuff. Like I've, I've showed them The Simpsons. My youngest is 10. My oldest is 16. My 10-year-old will definitely, like, sit and watch episode after episode with me. So she's my favorite. She's the one, if I had to rescue, if, if, if the ship was going down, like, without a doubt, she's the one I saved because she likes The Simpsons. Was this a hypothetical? Because remember, we had this hypothetical scenario earlier. <laughs> oh, is this hypothetical? I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> 
No, but uh, yeah, it does feel good to be able to like show my kid the stuff I worked on, and um, but she doesn't care. She doesn't care that I worked on it. Like that's yeah, too yeah, abstract. It's just dad. Yeah, it's just yeah. dad. She just, I think, I you know what I think? She thinks it's funny seeing me laugh that hard. Nothing makes me laugh as hard as just watching old episodes of The Simpsons. I'm like, I'm like De Niro and Cape Fear, just <laughs> screaming, like crying with laughter. They're, and I, and I just keep saying to myself, like, God damn, these are good. Like, they're so good. There's nothing, and this may be just me being an old fart now, but, like, there's <laughs> nothing that has ever come out since then that's made me feel that way. I still feel that way when I watch those old Simpsons episodes. They're, they're so good. How old On would every you, level. How old would you have been when those Simpsons episodes were coming out? I was in... I was 13 when the Trace Yellman show came out. So junior high, freshman in high school when the show started. I mean, I remember everything vividly. My life changed. Yeah. I, and that was like, that was before I even knew I was going to work on the show. Like I could, could work on the show. I was just a fan. Every, I will never forget watching those early Trace Yellman episodes. And then I just, I had heard this pre-internet, like they're coming out with the series day one. Like I had the VCR ready and it was that Christmas episode even better than I could have dreamed and I became that guy who would in high school everybody if you ask anyone I went to high school what they remember about me I was the Simpsons guy yeah I would memorize every episode I'd wear every it was it used to be on Thursday nights I'd wear a Simpsons t-shirt every Thursday to school I would draw the Simpsons on everybody's yearbook on every chalkboard I'd get sharpies and draw them on people's arms I was just I was that big of a nerd that's awesome so yeah it's just crazy that I ended up working there what have you ever gotten to tell Matt that? Not really. I've met him a few times. It's funny. My joke about Matt is my relationship with Matt Groening is like Homer and Mr. Burns. <laughs> I've met him 20 times and every time he's like, Abel Sinead, hmm, must, must be one of my drones from Sector 7G. Like I always, early on at the, at the premiere parties, I'd introduce myself. I'd be like, I'm working on, you know, I'm an animator on the show and I'm a big fan. And he was always sweet. Like, oh, nice to meet you. Thanks, man see him again the next premiere hey brad abelson oh nice to meet you third next year nice to meet you brad like he nothing against him he's a huge celebrity with meeting hundreds of people every party but like he didn't remember me i was just one of the the peons in the animation in the in the, in the cartoon factory maybe he's uh maybe he's playing the long game with you he's like <laughs> maybe i think i stopped introducing myself after like the fifth or sixth premiere party well maybe the next time he'll come up to you and he'll he'll say hey i'm matt graney Maybe that'll happen. And then you'll know it was all a ruse. There we go. Could happen. Yeah, man. Multiverse, right? Um, so the minions, right? So I know we've jumped around. This is, what's, this is why this podcast is called What's in the Head, because I generally don't know, with the exception of some <laughs> questions that we'll get to here shortly, um, I really don't know where the conversation is going to go. And this has been a really fun chat, man. I really appreciated this one. Uh, I was looking forward to it, and then it completely blew all expectations that I had. Because like I said, very rarely do I get to let my hair down and and sit here and just just riff and have a good time you know i'm not saying all my all the episodes are stiff and everything like that it's just sometimes you can hit a hit a conversation where it's just like man if simpsons come up all right man minions come up all right man. <laughs> it's just been fun man so well, I, I feel the same way man i think we're we're our, our gummies we both peaked at the same time <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i you're a dude like i said earlier it's like it's like a couple of dudes talking I just, that's why i gotta be careful what i say i tend to i tend to share some inappropriate stories i may have already gotten myself in trouble but so far i think we're okay 
if we put a fake mustache over you and then one of those big noses, I think I think you'll be fine. We'll change a rad Babelson or some shit. A <laughs> rad Babelson. That's my that's my Pardo name. Yeah. <laughs> That might be one we have to cut, maybe. <laughs> you leave, leave that one in there. All right, that's like slipping in the wiener earlier, right? That's that's going to be <laughs> the wiener, right? That's, ladies and gentlemen, that's a callback. That's uh, that's good. Um, but as we start to transition, man, some minions. I didn't know about this entire universe, right? So, like I said, we live in Universal, and uh, one of the first rides I did when I got out of the military in 2016, when we started buying our season passes, was the minions ride. Now, when I was deployed, they were releasing these. And then I was just like, ah, I was out of animation at that point in time. Yeah. 22 deployed overseas, missing my wife, missing my kids, missing my dogs, you know, just uh, just missing everything about home. Right. And I come home and then my son's wearing this. It's like minion shirt. So I was like, I just saw that over there, man. And now he's wearing it. Flash forward a couple of years. I get out and then I'm at the, the Universal and then there's a minions ride. And I'm like dude, is this like every time, like I turn around, I'm, I'm bumping into something yellow, right? I'm bumping. Into, <laughs> ooh, I was like, I guess this is the universe's sign of saying, Hey, you should watch this shit. <laughs> so one of the movies, one of the most recent movies come out uh, a few years back and my son wanted to go to it. And I'm like, shit, this is really good. I'm going to have to go watch everything, man. So, so watching these, like I said, watching these with your kids is really, really fun, but watching these as an adult, is just as much fun as watching these with your kids, man. So what was it like when you got the call say, Hey, you want to work on the minions? What was that like? It, it was totally unexpected. The way it happened, which I kind of mentioned earlier, is these these ladies, I, these really great women I used to work for with the Simpsons, that, uh, licensing and merchandising. This is a boring story, but like they ended up working on the minions years later. And I just would, these were people I would call when I had some downtime and I needed some freelance. So I called them, you know, between seasons of the Simpsons, like probably in like 2000, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something like that. And I said, Hey, you got any Simpsons freelance? And they're like, Oh, we work on minions now, but like, it's basically this, if, it's the same thing. Like if you can draw Homer's head, you're drawing a minion. They literally are the same thing. Yeah. So they threw me some freelance and I started drawing minions and it was, it was, like I said, it was like, it was, it took to it pretty easily. And I was like you, I didn't, pay too much attention to the movies when they came out. But then when I had to start watching it for work, I was like, damn, these are funny. Like they're, they're very much have the same DNA as the Simpsons. Like they're made for all audiences. Like there's hilarious physical comedy that like kids love, but there's also really smart writing and, 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 and subversive humor for the adults. So I really dug it. And so they started giving me assignments, more and more assignments where I wasn't just drawing like a minion for a t-shirt, but I was doing, storyboards for little commercials and music videos and random like little short form content pieces i did like a, a music video with pharrell like where the minions were in this like music video i started storyboarding all these things and it caught the attention of the student guy who runs the studio this guy named chris melodondry who's brilliant like he he is the, the our generation's walt disney you may not have heard of him but like he has done at Illumination in 10 years with the Minions what Walt Disney took like decades to do. Like the Minions are all in 10, have only been around for 10 years and they're already as world known, world renowned and recognizable as Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And that's because of this guy, Chris Melodondry, who just is a brilliant filmmaker and businessman who knows what he's doing. He did that with the Minions. He did it with the Secret Life of Pets, the Sing movies. Anyways, I'm, I, and, and, and his, his, 
there's a few key people at Illumination besides Chris Melodondi who are the secret to their success. And the other one is the lady I mentioned before, Gail Harrison. She's the yeah. head of marketing. I think she she was Mar Simpsons marketing, and now she's to still currently my boss uh, at, uh, at Illumination doing running marketing. These two people together just understand how to get people hooked on really funny, simple gags. And so anyways, the, I started doing some Minions storyboards, caught the attention of this of, our, of the head of the studio, and he started throwing me more and more work. It's, it's a really long story, but the short answer is I just was freelancing, not thinking much of it, off and on between seasons of The Simpsons, and then I had my own show on MTV for a little bit, and I had my own show on Comedy Central for a little bit, and I would be between seasons, and I would freelance for Minions. And then out of the blue, in 2000, I guess it was 17, I just got a call from the boss, this guy Chris Melodondri, saying, would you like to co-direct Minions 2? And I was like, are you out of your mind? Like, I don't know anything about directing movies i've never worked in like cg yes i've done some minions like storyboards but like and say this all to him but i'm thinking like what is he thinking like the, I, I would be so out of my league but at the same time i'm like how can i say no to this opportunity so it's weird it wasn't something that i was pursuing but when he gave me that opportunity i was like hell yeah so i actually walked away from my own show on comedy central uh, it's called a show called Legends of Ch Chamberlain Heights. We were we just wrapped in season two. To be fair, we didn't know if we were going to get a season three, but I, I walked away to go work on this movie, and that was five years ago. The movie was a, the movie was supposed to take three years to make, which it did, and we were all set to come out summer of 2020. Yeah, we had just faced it. We were putting the finishing touching on the touches on the movie when the pandemic hit, mm. and then suddenly. As you know, the whole world stopped, and we put a we we delayed the release of the Minions movie for at the time we delayed it for a year, thinking like this thing will blow over and we'll be back back to normal in a year. Well, as we all quickly learned, even after a year, no one was going to see movies, so they delayed it a second time. The movie is finally coming out this July, July first, twenty twenty two. So I've been on the movie now for five years. It was supposed to be three, and I've been on it for five. The first three years, like I said, was working on the movie itself. And then these last two years have been pretty much marketing. And that's all been from home in this office. This is what I, I was telling you earlier, but that's when I turned this four wall boring little room into my tiki dream office because I was like, I may be in this room 24 seven for the foreseeable future, which I was. And so I've done dozens of commercials and music videos and, and worked on theme park rides and short films and all kinds of cool minion stuff in support of the movie, which is all about to finally, Lord willing, uh, come out. And, you know, when this podcast airs, probably just in a few weeks, right? This yeah, is uh, yeah. the, the movie's coming out July 1st. So yeah. it's a really exciting time right now. Um, so yeah, as, as you're speaking to me now, I still like this. I'm, I'm, it's like those old Simpsons days where I'm pinching myself where I just co-directed like my first movie and it's, and it's good. It's so good. It's so funny and crazy. And it's, I think it's what the world needs right now. Cause it's, it's not trying to be anything important. It's a big, dumb, funny movie that you just go and laugh. We're not trying to change the world. And, and, and there's something nice about that. And that's something that like, I'm really proud of.
It's a lot like The Simpsons. It's a lot. It, the DNA in the in the Minions and The Simpsons is is very much in line with each other. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Because you get that. Like, I didn't make that correlation. You get, I'm like, yeah, man. There's there's stuff there for everybody. There's stuff for adults if you don't have kids, and there's stuff there for kids. I mean, I hope the kids have adults. There's nothing sadder than a kid that doesn't. But I mean, you know, it's just it, it's a good time, and I'm really looking forward to this one. My son's been talking about it because we went to the movie theaters like we just saw dr strange uh, as my voice cracks excuse me puberty man it comes late for boys i hear congratulations <laughs> thank you man i felt like one dropped uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we just got done watching uh dr strange 2 uh this past weekend man fucking dope movie and then batman and then every time we go in there like uh like going to the movies is like my walt disney right or not walt disney because that's really weird my disney world is what i meant to say yes so it's like, like, you know, right? So I'm getting there, smelling the popcorn, looking at the movies. And one of our favorite things to do before we get there and watch the trailers is go up and down and see what new movie posters are coming out. Mm-hmm. Every time it's the same thing. Like he pointed out this one, he pointed out Sonic and he pointed out something else. Um, and we're going to go see Sonic probably this weekend before it goes out of the theaters. But he's like, I want to see this one. I want to see this one. And I want to see this one. And the one he keeps pointing to is the Minions. Because yeah. they've got like 12 or 13 movies that are coming out from now until like August or some shit like that up on the walls. Uh, so we're really looking forward to this one. Um, when, before I, before I go past the Tiki's uh, or before I go past back to the menus, do you know, Chris Bailey, an animator used to work at Disney? I don't think so. I'll make the connect for you guys because he's a real big Tiki guy as well. Uh, he had this big, just like statue Tiki, like kind of what you have in the background. One of okay. those. Harvey, he just had one posted on, he posted over on Facebook or Instagram. I can't remember which one, but he, he's really into the Tiki's and he was, uh, there's this comic book artist that uh, he was throwing money towards. It was uh, for one of the crowdfunding things and it came with like a, a Tiki drink recipe and it also came, they, they had made Tiki cups and shit like that. So, oh, uh, what exactly you're talking about. This one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Will Penny. I know the guy who did it. Yeah, this is a great comic. And I have the glass too. The one that like changes like color yeah. as you fill it up. Dude, it's funny how small this world is and yet how big it oh, is. Oh yeah. Right? I may know the guy you're talking about. The tiki world is actually pretty small and there's there's he probably goes to a lot of the same like tiki bars and tiki like events that I go to. But yeah. It, there's a lot of animation people who are into tiki. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, but like that's Homer. I made that. That's a Homer tiki. This is Bart. a Bart Tiki. Oops, as I just <laughs> up the wall. And then this is probably way too hard to see, but these are minions. I carved this myself, like it's like a minion totem pole. Dude, you're a fucking master woodworker too. <laughs> and I was like, I told you, that was my pandemic project. I was like, I gotta turn this office into something I can like be creative in. So I went, I went for it, man. Dude, I'm gonna have to step my fucking game up. I just painted the wall <laughs> a couple months ago. No, oh, man. I mean, that you're doing exactly what what I wanted to do, which is I want to surround myself by the stuff that makes me happy. I mean, you're, that's what you've done. Like, that's perfect. That's what you should do. Fucking we should all do that. I like that, man. The spam can back there. Yeah, absolutely, man. It makes me feel like a kid. Does it make you feel like a kid? Or when did Tiki's come into the place for you, man? As a little kid, or as an adult? Well, I think the seed was planted when I was a kid watching Gilligan's Island. I, I just I had that same fantasy that everybody had of being stranded on an island with a couple of like, you know, hot girls and goofy friends and making stuff out of bamboo and coconuts. That's when it got planted. And then it didn't really become an obsession until I was in college. I was uh, 
in charge of planning a fraternity party, like a luau theme fraternity party. And I um, looked in the yellow pages for like where you rent like luau stuff from. And I, it led me to this place called Oceanic Arts in Whittier, which was, it turns out it was this place, this magical place where they made all the like props and stuff for Gilligan's Island. And they made everything that's on at the Tiki Tiki Room in Disneyland and all the tiki bars that I go to, like they, that's where they make all the stuff that you see that's on the walls. I went there to rent like luau props. And when I walked in the door, I literally had like a religious moment where there's like a waterfall and drums and these big scary tikis and this smell. And it just, I was like, I must've been like a, like an Islander in another life or something. I just had this moment where I get, a, I need, tiki around me at all times and ever since then i've just been obsessed and i i turned my office at the simpsons into like a tiki office every dorm room and apartment i've ever lived in and now my poor wife has to deal with like tiki fortunately this is my like my home office so it doesn't go beyond this these walls but like yeah it's it's kind of an obsession it's kind of a problem yeah i'm glad you said that because my wife says i would my wife said uh i said like man it's, it's a collection she's like it's a sickness is what it is <laughs> yeah, dude yeah. if it makes you happy that's great that's what it should be 100 percent, man uh and same thing everything is with uh, contained within these four walls the only thing that i have that's like nerdy outside here is my dresser drawers or whatever it's a nightstand drawers i've got uh the little uh little, little knobs or whatever they are for the dresser and they're bat symbols so batman nice that's the only thing that she's letting me bring outside of the office. That uh, you need, you need a bat knob to get to your underwear drawer. That's just practical. <laughs> you got to get it to get to the bat pole, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, pun intended. Uh, so as we as we start to rotate to the fans' questions, like I said, this has been really fun. So I appreciate your time, man. Um, <clears throat> the one the one question I gave you pre gaming, man. So yes, you got four plus one. Your Mount Rushmore of animators, illustrators, musicians, whatever it is that makes you inspired, man. Who's your four plus one? All right. So my first and my biggest is gonna be a no brainer. It's basically Matt Groening and David Silverman, the two guys who are really responsible for. I mean, there's a lot of people who are responsible for The Simpsons, but Matt Groening, obviously, like the original creator. And then David Silverman, who is artistically, even more than Matt, like the one who came up with the look of The Simpsons and also has been to this day, like what, uh, what's called our supervising director on The Simpsons, who was just my hero artistically and personally. He took so much time, like we're talking about mentors, like a mentor to me who like taught me so much. And he's just, he's just incredible. So yeah, Mount Rushmore for me is definitely like David Silverman slash Matt Groening, even though Matt Groening doesn't remember me. Um, <laughs> and then right up with them, and they're in the same vein, we talked about them earlier, is like Trey Parker slash Matt Stone, Mike Judge, and Seth MacFarlane. Like I love, I just, that's the dream. I, I don't know that I'll ever be at that level, but like that's the dream for me is to be a guy like those guys who can do it, who can write, do the voices and like be the writer or, and come up with a look of, of not just like one show, but like a series of shows. Like those guys are just my heroes. Those, those like creator types. Would you ever have you, well, King of the Hills coming back and uh, I got to imagine, I mean, I know you're in the, the, the big picture game now, but I got to imagine if you could jump on and you could work on all of those shows at least once in your career, I got to imagine you would, but uh, that in the cards for you, if, if you wanted to or you want to stick to what you're doing now 
Um, that's a good question. I don't, as much as I love those shows, I don't know that I would work on those shows. Like, Simpsons will always be my, my favorite. So I would entertain working on The Simpsons again. But honestly, like, I've had been really lucky to, like, have some of my own shows. Like, none of them have become big, fat hits. But I'd like to keep trying to get my own thing going. I, I Like I said, I did the, these, this show on MTV called Good Vibes, and I did this show on Comedy Central called Legends. That was Those were a dream come true. I mean, I was trying to be the Matt Groening, and I was. Um, they just didn't stick. You know, it's so hard to get a show that, like, on every level works, and the timing and the politics works out. But it was still an amazing experience. So I'd, I'd probably keep trying to create my own show. But at the moment, besides working on... Like, I, I kind of feel like I'm in the early stages of... Like with with minions, I feel like I was when I started on The Simpsons. I was I'm like new. I have a lot to learn. I'm really excited. I can't believe I'm like just directed a freaking co-directed a, a, a minions movie. I still have a lot to learn that I want to do in features. And I think the ultimate dream would be to pitch and direct my own animated feature. Something maybe a little more adult. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need more. We definitely need more animation on the adult side. Yeah. Like. I've mentioned before, this is it's a little specific to South Park, but that South Park movie, yeah, greatest move, greatest adult movie, animated movie of all time, and and I'd put um, like the Beavis and Butthead movie up there too. It's, it's a it's a good one. That was another one where I found Beavis and Butthead after I found King of the Hill because I wasn't oh, yeah? yeah I wasn't an MTV kid. My my older sister was. Um, so we would watch Daria with her. I love Daria, man. It was such a fun show. Uh, Daria. And then I remember King of the Hill had came on and, and I saw a commercial for something. It was probably the movie was coming out maybe somewhere in that area. Or I don't know what it was, but uh, I was like, no, they look really familiar. And then you start buying the DVDs and shit at that point. And then I'm like, dude, that's the same name on King of the Hill. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's an early rendition of Hank Hill, right? What the fuck is going on? And then you yeah, start. Mr. Anderson. Are yeah, you the yeah. boars that have been whacking in my shed? <laughs> did you ever watch the reboot they did a couple years back? Well, okay, so here's a story. The um, my first show that I created was called Good Vibes. It was uh, it only ever even got on the air because of the Beavis and Butthead reboot. Yeah. So like this, pi- I had done a pilot for Good Vibes that had been passed on by everywhere, everybody. And I thought it was dead. And then out of the blue, MTV decided they're going to resurrect Beavis and Butthead and they needed another cartoon to go with it. And so we got a call, me and the guy I created the show with, Mike Clements, we got a call out of the blue thinking, like long after we thought Good Vibes was dead, saying, we want to pick up your show for 10 episodes to go on after Beavis and Butthead. And I was like, big lead in. Are you kidding me? Like, because I I don't don't think I mentioned it, but Beavis and Butthead is up there with me. Like, not quite Simpsons, but like probably number two yeah. after Simpsons for me. So to be on after Beavis and Butthead, I was like, like it's over, man. Like my dream of <laughs> having my own show, I'm set for life. Like I was like, because I love the show, Good Vibes. Every, like the writing and the animation, it was it was a dream come true. And I thought we're on after Beavis and Butthead, like we're set for life. Well, what ended up happening, as you may know, maybe this is what you're where you were going is the new Beavis and Butthead, unfortunately, just was like a, it just didn't work. Like, and it, um, you know, politically, what I was privy to is like, I guess it was just, it it was also really over budget and behind schedule. So by the time 
those episodes were ready to air on MTV, the network was already fed up with the Eves and Butthead, and, and they just didn't put any promotions behind it. So the new Beavis and Buttheads in our show came out with zero fanfare. There was like barely a commercial or a poster anywhere. So they aired. Um, I actually thought even the, the new Beavis and Buttheads were pretty good, but for whatever reason, MTV did not support them. And uh, yeah, both of our shows just kind of like quietly died on the vine. I want to say it's probably a lot of the just the culture, PC culture, and the fact that everybody's trying to be a little bit more tame and what you could kind of do in the 90s, you can't really do now. Um, that might have been part of it. Yeah, there was a lot of factors. And then the same thing happened with my other show, Legends of Chamberlain Heights on Comedy Central. We followed South Park. Yeah. Like Simpsons, South Park, and Beavis and Butthead, favorite shows of all time. I was on after South Park. And that show actually made it two seasons. We did okay. Um, but it just didn't, yeah, it didn't, it didn't have that, it didn't connect the way South Park does, but it was awesome to be on after like my two favorite shows. When you get up in the morning, how often do you think about like all of this, like your entire journey, obviously you've got shit to do and you've got kids you're raising, you got a wife, you got all this, this other stuff, you got tiki stuff to do, man. (laughs) What's it like going in your head and you're just walking through the day, you know, you're just like, fuck man. Is it, is it weird? Is it cool? I mean, is it something to live with? What's it like, man? I don't think of it that way, but it's cool to hear you ask me that question. And it makes me realize I probably need to appreciate it more. Oh, not at the, all, man. I just want to the, What did you call this? The Sammy Sosa? I need yeah, to do the Sammy Sosa more often because I'm very lucky. Like I, I, I'm doing the thing I love and uh, yeah. It's funny, like, this has been great talking to you because it's making me realize how lucky I am. I do need to stop and appreciate it more. But, yeah, it's it's busy. Like, I I don't even think I began telling you how many things I'm working on right now for to promote the Minions movie. And, like, I'm seeing emails and phone calls and stuff because tomorrow I'm going to go. I get to go direct Steve Carell tomorrow doing a bunch of, like, marketing, like, bits that are going to be on, like, you know, Jimmy Fallon and stuff like that. So it's – I'll be pinching myself tomorrow for sure. But, like, right now I'm just, like – in that like oh my god i have so much to do mode and it's really cool talking to you because it, it, it it's making me realize how that you know I'm, I'm i'm i am living the dream i forget about that sometimes and 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 it feels good to you know hear you asking those questions and see the uh, appreciation i mean we, i think we can all do that man because i didn't realize like how much i missed with my oldest son until i had well i didn't have him. my wife had the baby last july you know, it's 12 years is a huge gap. And for the first four years of my oldest son's life, I was gone. I was deployed consistently. I didn't see him that often. I'm in, for, I'm out for nine months. I'm home for a couple. I'm out for another nine. I'm home for six, seven months, whatever it is. I'm out again for nine. And then between living in different sides of the country, different parts of the state, we just saw each other when we could see each other, you know? So I didn't appreciate like how being little, especially when you have a kid goes by like that. And then I have, like I said, I didn't have wife had uh, the second one. And then you're like, fuck man. And I'm seeing him get bigger and older. Like he's 10 months. So we fucking year in July, July 1st, actually the day your movie comes out was the day my son was born. Just the right, happy, what's your son's name. Uh, the youngest one is Cooper. And the oldest one is Hayden. All right. Cooper. Happy birthday, Cooper. You're going to get a minions movie on your birthday. <laughs> oh, look at that, man. Uh, you know, so it's just, it's, it's like I said, I didn't appreciate it. So I think we can all go through 
you know, the day is like, fuck, man, sit back, relax, enjoy it while you got it, because it can yeah. go over. It can be done like that, man. Um, like I said, I've kept you long enough. Let's get to the fans questions real quick. Yes, it's Mount Rushmore, man. I really appreciate that. We knocked out the uh, rec animation recommendation, uh, which is uh, Raymond Percy, not Benjamin yeah. Percy. That was the guy I was thinking about. Um, but we had a lot of fans right in. Uh, a lot of them had some really good questions. I always enjoy reading these because they make me seem smarter because I never look at shit the same way somebody else looks at stuff. So it's always interesting. Um, missing number 000 wants to know. Uh, can you remember instances where, uh, where what the writers were asking for was way too much to animate and you uh, had to talk them down? And how often did that happen? <laughs> That's funny. It makes me realize, it makes me remember when you start on The Simpsons, you always get the crowd scenes. Um, that's what everybody dreads. Like doing a crowd scene is so much work because you're drawing literally like a crowd of people. You're drawing like dozens of people and you have to figure out, especially the, the, the Simpsons love to draw, ang they love to have angry mobs. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's almost become a joke between the writers and the animators that like, oh, you guys are complaining about this? All right, well, another angry mob coming your way. So like they would always write angry mobs and they would always give those scenes to the new guys. So yeah, to answer that question, I remember very vividly early on drawing many a crowd, many, many an angry mob. And I think the more we would complain, the more they would just write more angry mob scenes. I love how petty that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, man. Uh... Uh, this one might be one we can skip if you don't want to answer because, like I said, this is asking what Matt Groening thinks, uh, and you're Brad, man. So, uh, is it true, Matt? And I, like I said, whenever I tell people I'm not an expert on anybody, I'm just a fan. So when these guys write in and they go deep cuts, it's it's interesting. Um, but he wanted to know: Is it true that Matt Groening didn't like it when The Simpsons got too cartoony and the eyes were too big? Anything like that sound familiar? I haven't heard about the eyes being too big, but we definitely over the years heard many uh, heard about many pet peeves from Matt Groening. Like he would he would go years without us seeing or hearing him, and then from him, and then all of a sudden he'd be like, "Hey, like when you're drawing bricks in the background on the like you know the the Quickie Mart outside of the Quickie Mart, like let's draw every brick." Like that was a random Matt Groening request. And we were like, are you serious? It's going to be so detailed and busy, but like, you're not going to tell Matt Groening no. So like we draw every brick now, like there's, yeah, he would, he would definitely have like very obscure, seemingly obscure requests that we would just do. Um, I don't know that we ever push back. Cause like, I mean, he's the boss. <laughs> so it's a good one, but, um, Oh, this one's good. I'm assuming it's going to be, the mob scene um but during the traditional years what was the background that took the most physical space the background that took the most physical i mean like the back like the the image in the back like the literally like the background of a scene yeah i think that's what he's i think that's what he's getting uh, yeah i don't know i mean i guess that's a good question i mean this doesn't come up well that actually does come up i was gonna say that, that there's a crazy in the opening title sequence, when we're panning through town and Bart's skateboarding past all the stores and whipping around poles, that's one long background, which at the time, I mean, it made sense to do a really ambitious, dynamic, cool shot for the title sequence that no one would ever have to deal with again. But then 
it's become a tradition, especially in the later years, to redo the opening title sequence every you know few episodes with like a like it's an underwater version or it's like it's all music notes or it's like so they do redo that opening title sequence frequently and I feel really bad for whoever has to redraw that crazy background. <laughs> Beautiful. There's your uh, there's your answers there. Um... Do you remember what it was like working on shows like The Simpsons uh, as they transitioned from traditional animation to digital? And that's from Josh I. Oh, yeah, very vividly. Um, it was also around the time of the movie. And that was one of the reasons that working on the movie was rough, is we were not only just dealing with a very different type of product, the, you know, a, a movie adverse, as opposed to a TV show, but we were having to relearn how to draw everything on a computer. We were, we were still drawing on a computer like we do to this day. I don't think you can see it, but like I draw right here. I have a monitor. Yeah, I draw on. It's no different than drawing on paper, but you have to use Photoshop or some software to sort of like organize your drawing. So that all took place around the time that we we're doing the movie. And it was weird at first. And I remember there was a very clear two camps. You know, there were like the young people who were like, hell yeah, like, let's get on board with the new technology. It, get, it makes certain things faster and easier. And this is obviously the way things are moving. So we should get on board. And then there was like the old cr crotchety, grumpy, you know, jaded old, old timers who are like, I'm not learning some new thing. Let me draw on paper. And like those guys either had to like figure it out pretty quick or they get left. They got left in the dust. Hey man, get good. Uh, I think is what the kids say these days. <laughs> um, some of these I got to read ahead of time. So, uh, all right. Uh, ooh, Ice Cream Hero, because we talked seasons earlier. Ice Cream Hero wanted to know. Uh, in seasons 14 through 20, they colored the animation digitally and they put a filler, uh, yeah, a filler over the episodes to make them look more uh, like cell animation. Do you know what filter they used? No, I mean, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, because like that was to, to kind of going back to that previous question, that was the worry both from our side and the, I think the fans noticed it when we went digital is it, it, everything just had a different look. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this whoever this asked this question is very well informed and in tune because there was a point where we tried to, yeah, like account for the the natural sort of like imperfections of traditional old cell animation with some sort of filter so i have no idea what it's called or who does it but yeah that that was something that was definitely consciously done um to try and keep the look the same beautiful good question there and that was ice cream hero and their profile picture is a picture of bart uh so they're a real deal holy field type of guy or female, so I apologize. Uh, Leslie Sincere wants to know, in your opinion, with the switch to digital, did it help or muddle the look for show? Meaning, does digital make it look too sharp and too clean? I also said, uh, I know digital makes things easier for animators, but is it always the right look? Yeah, I mean, that is a subjective, I think, I think that's a subjective question that everybody is going to have a different opinion about. Personally, and I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I love really fucked up punk rock weird ass animation that's why i loved early simpsons early beavis and butthead early south park all of those three of those shows as they got more you know successful and 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 went digital and got uh more efficient like i personally don't don't like 
how clean and perfect and detailed it is. It's lost some of its charm. Yeah. That's just me personally. A lot of people look at old Simpsons and think they're atrocious. Like even a lot of the purists, like people who I respect, would discount season one from like, you know, the great years of the Simpsons because it was so weird. Personally, the weirder the better. Loved how crazy and punk rock those old seasons were. And 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 the there were mistakes everywhere. I mean, you have, because, you know, I'm sure everybody listening knows how cell animation worked pre-digital is you literally had painted clear cellulite paper stacked on top of each other and when you get a detailed scene with lots of characters and lots of layers at a certain point it gets so thick that like the camera like it gets like kind of blurry and muted and the colors are all fucked up and there's shadows and there's dust all that shit collectively created a vibe that i loved and that other ice cream user person was what they were talking about, which is really cool, like, is that there was something missing when we went digital and, and we tried to account for it with a filter. I mean, it's kind of futile, like it's not going to change it. But um, but yeah, I, I love I love the old pre pre digital fucked up stuff. I do too, and there's two things that I wanted to circle back. One is a recommendation. Did you ever watch Ed, Ed and Eddie back in the day? Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. so that's Plank back there. But that that whole, if you haven't gotten the chance, man, some of those episodes I did with the AKA cartoons, they were the Toronto-based um, animation studio that put on Ed and Eddie. Uh, you want to talk punk rock. One of my favorite stories, like they're a punk rock fucking, like Danny Antonucci, the guy that created it and ran it, punk rocker, old school punk rocker. Yeah. Uh, so they were out to lunch. And they kept saying, Danny, hey, Danny, we need a new, we need a new stereo for the, uh, for the studio because this one keeps breaking and keeps going out. So he's like, all right, what I want you to do. And the guys that was bringing it up to Danny, his name was Big Jim. And next to Big Jim, uh, you know, was a couple of the other artists. But nobody heard what him and Danny were talking about. He's like, what I want you to do is when you go in there, I want you to sit down at your desk after we get back from lunch, draw a little bit, and then get up, snatch the fucking the radio off the shelves slam it on the ground go office office space right just beat the shit out of it right and he's like don't say anything just say i've had enough of this shit and smash it and just go crazy so him and danny knows what's going on so his best one of his best buddies joel dickey sees his friend big jim hulking out on the fucking radio so what does joel do joel runs over and starts stomping on it with big jim and they're stomping on it. everybody thinks they're losing their fucking mind like everybody snapped because of the pressure you hear about the pressure of the story or of the studio it was just fucking breakneck piece uh and he would hand everybody if shit just wasn't as good as he thought it was supposed to be he would end up posting notes and it would say did you draw this with your ass what the fuck is this? He would give him letter grades F and he would circle it, underline it, and yeah. give it back to him. So if you got the chance now, I know you're busy now, but check out some of those edit and any episodes. And it's had some of the best stories I've ever heard in my life nice. are on that. But I've had to cut a lot of some of the best stories I've ever heard too, because they didn't want that shit out there with the right. culture out there right now. They would oh, get I love that. that. Um, I love that. I'm sure there's some stories like that, like old Simpsons too. And yeah, it's just, it's things have gotten so like, PC and, and, and corporate and efficient that like everything loses a little bit of charm. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do like, I do understand what you're saying. I, I like seeing the mess ups. I love seeing if the animator was just a little too hard on something and you see that yeah. while you're watching like, Oh shit, that was a mistake that wasn't done or they could go back and Photoshop it out. Like they left yeah. it in and they saw it and they're like, fuck man, we're 
two weeks behind schedule. It's going through, right? So I, I like seeing that type of stuff. It's it's part of it. Part of it too is like the artists weren't as good. Yeah. Like, and there's and there's something kind of funny about like, oh, well, actually, you know, they were good. They just weren't well trained. So there's something about good artists who are who are, who are not well trained draw funnier. Yeah. As soon as you get really well trained and you're worrying about what they call drawing on model things just get a little stiffer and less interesting i love just like crazy weird ass art like so those old simpsons episodes those people didn't know what they were doing um the directing was amazing like the directors they knew like that's what's so great about david silverman like he's the og you know director of like all the old simpsons episodes like he understood that like it doesn't the drawing doesn't have to be on model as long as it's funny and as long as in the right context and the like the story it, it works like put your effort into just like the storytelling don't worry about perfect drawings perfect drawings aren't funny yeah i got to agree man I, I really enjoy i don't know who would want to discount the first season. i really enjoy the first season it's fun mm -hmm. um and it's cool getting to look back at what i couldn't experience as a kid right so um what was the biggest thing for you to overcome when it came to directing uh directing your first animated film um I didn't talk about it, but my first animated film I directed while I was working on The Simpsons, it was sort of my attempt to break out and become like the Matt Groening. And it was a short film called Save Virgil, which you can find on YouTube. It was really ambitious. Like I, it was like kind of a Roger Rabbit thing. It was a live action, 10 minute, it was like 14 minutes actually long film, live action, except for the main character was a cartoon. Yeah. I got Adam Carolla to do the voice of this like angry little cartoon baby. And it was really fun and it came out great, but like, the challenges, whatever that, that, that the, the person asked about, like it was just learning and having to figure out how to do it all myself. Cause like, I didn't have the money or the resources to, to, to pay for everything. So I just had to like, I had to teach myself editing. I had to teach myself Photoshop. I had to teach myself after effects. I had to like, you know, beg, borrow and steal the fly coach to go to Korea to like sleep under my desk and work with the Korean animators who were helping me like do the animation, like the whole experience of just doing, uh, talking about punk rock, like low budget, just guerrilla style filmmaking is the greatest way to learn about directing, doing it yourself. If someone had, if I had, if I had like gone on, they didn't have Kickstarter back then, but if I had gone on Kickstarter and raised a bunch of money and paid a bunch of people to do, everything i never would have learned anything like yeah i i tell everyone who ever wants to become a director like how do you get into it just make a film and do everything yourself you'll probably suck you'll probably it'll probably be a mess but you're gonna learn so much doing it that way so, so yeah that, that's that's really cool man uh i was gonna ask a, a couple more but man i want to we'll end it with i like i said i had a lot of fun so down the road after the movie comes out when you got some free time and you're not on vacation because i got to imagine you got a vacation coming up pretty soon um, i'm going to florida actually i'm going to go i'm my family i'm taking my family to the universal parks out there in yeah, august yeah. because i've never we've never been and i want to you know play my minions card and you know see if i can milk it we'll uh i'll talk offline with you man i'll send you some places to go to and then nice. uh, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll talk offline here. Just so. okay. um, I, like I said, I was going to ask, this will be the last question, but I do want to hear uh, your Korea story. Like, what was what was that like? Um, but the uh, guy here wanted to know, just fucking shut down. Um, he wanted to know if there was any superheroes. Uh, I have one about minions. Do any superheroes exist in the Despicable Me universe? I don't know if we can talk about that. 
I don't know if uh, that gives them. Um, I think I know what they mean. Yeah, that's something. That's something I can talk about. I mean, it's the, what makes the Despicable Me me movies funny, and 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 the the whole gimmick is is it's about villains. Mm-hmm. Um, so his question is: Are there superheroes? Not really. It's funny. It's like I didn't even think about this. You would think that if our movies are about villains, we would have superheroes be like the antagonist, but really, it's just a world of supervillains. Yeah. Same within our new movie, like the whole like you know, it's about group. It's a prequel mm-hmm. to of to you know the Despicable Me movies about little kid Gru becoming a villain and how did he meet the minions and how did they team up? And it's what's great is it's all about him. He's just like little Brad being a like Simpsons fanboy. Little Gru is a fanboy of these villains. This mm-hmm. like villain like they're called the Vicious Six, and this is all in the commercials. The, the the little Gru is like a total geek fanboy of his favorite villains. This group of villains called the Vicious Six, and they're like the Avengers of villains. Mm-hmm. It's all about him, like trying to become one of them and interviewing with them, and it ends up turning into this whole crazy story. But like, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's all about villains, and 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 you know, they're they're bad people. But like, it's so, that's that's the whole gimmick. Is like it's so much more fun to like watch villains. Like you know, what do, what do villains want? What do villains want to be? do with their life than than superheroes it's like the anti-marvel universe <laughs> it's like uh, did you ever see wreck it ralph the second one oh, yeah. it might be the first one it might be the second one but they've got all of the uh video game villains like yeah oh, uh, therapy yeah in therapy that's what it <laughs> so you definitely need to talk to raymond percy he worked on that and he's also the voice of the zombie in that scene yeah. <laughs> Remember how like they're going around and then one of them's just like Ugh! Yeah. That's Raymond. <laughs> He's also the voice in Racket Ralph of the little one of the little guys, you know, the little guys that live in the tower. Like the main little guy, I can't remember his name, but he's the one who's like, Ralph, you do not belong up here. Like that's Raymond. Like he's the mayor. Nice you gotta you definitely gotta get him on your show. All right, man. I'll reach I'll reach out to him. That's uh <laughs> that's gonna be a blast, man. Um so yeah, we'll end it. We'll end with the career story. What was a uh, career like? What was it like living the uh, punk rock? Even though I threw up the metal horns, what was it like living the punk rock life over there in Korea, sleeping on the floor and working with the animators? It was awesome. It was also this is a long and dirty story. I got to be careful what I say here. I'll just say this: I was struggling at that time in my life with some stomach issues. Mm-hmm. I had what's called ulcerative colitis where from the stress of just working on the Simpsons all day, trying to get my own short film going, financing it myself. I basically gave myself ulcers Yeah. where I would (laughs) try to carefully say this. I suffered for years with this where I would have to shit urgently (laughs) at the most inopportune times, Yeah. which added to the stress level. So I was out there in Korea with no money, sleeping on the floor, you know, trying to get this my first little movie made. And on top of that, dealing with having to like shit uncontrollably at the worst times. And I learned the hard way, like there's these things in all over Asia, but I didn't know about them at the time. And it's, it's in Korea called squat toilets. Like art, art, you know about squat toilets? Yeah. Anyone who's ever been anywhere in Asia knows what they are, but like, the toilets that we have in America are, 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 are very different from the ones in Korea and, and, and old school Asia. It's basically just a hole in the ground. And I did not understand 
how you shit in a hole in the ground with your pants on. And I'm like, I'm not going to take my pants off in a dirty stall. So I, I don't know how I tell this story, but let's just say I learned the hard way about how to use a squat toilet under extreme pressure in Korea. Once I got over that though, it was an amazing experience. Um, I just loved, I loved just being in the trenches with the artists. Like we on the Simpsons, you know, you've probably heard the stereotype of like the Korean animators, just like, you know, sweatshops. Like they like have this horrible, live, working in horrible conditions and shoulder to shoulder, crazy hours, sleeping under the desk. I'd heard those stories and I wanted to see it for myself. And I ha- and and, and um, I flew to Korea and I and I the guy who was the sort of liaison for the Simpsons overseas studio and Fox arranged it so that I could go and see where they do the Simpsons, and it was nothing like the stereotypes where they do the the animation for the Simpsons is an awesome, gorgeous studio where people have great setups and work great hours and get paid well and have great great lives, you know. But I didn't have the money to hire that studio. I only had money to hire the shittiest, worst, cheapest, most like ghetto studio. And that was exactly like the stereotypes. It was just people who would work 24 seven and sleep under their desks. And like I said, I, I, I didn't have money for a hotel room. And they were like, if you want to sleep here at your desk, that's fine. So I would do that. And I would, we I ended up, and I didn't speak Korean, but like, I think the artist thought it was so cool that this American came over and was willing to to work as hard as they worked and live in the same conditions as they lived. We ended up bonding and having like the greatest time. And I'm still friends with some of these like Korean animators that I met during yeah. that like crazy month or two that I was out there. So it was a great, and it goes back to the story I was telling earlier, like earlier, like the best way to learn about directing or whatever the hell you want to do in life is to just do it, do it all do it on your own dime and like figure it out and you're going to have some crazy ass stories, but you're going to come out <laughs> with, you know, something way better than if you just like crowdfunded it and like, you know, had some rich donor or whatever pay for it. That's my advice. <laughs> you know what I learned? You know what I learned from this episode, man? Uh, you need a book, dude, or a podcast yourself. I mean, obviously you got to be careful with what you say. Um, especially being, you know, a director. And I got to imagine there's going to be some big stuff coming down the road for you. But uh, you got you to gotta do something where you're getting out there and you're telling these stories because these stories were fun, man. Like I said, it's kind uh, of- Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't think, I didn't think we were going to talk about squatty potties because that's what they call them. <laughs> uh, when I, when I, it all when comes I, back to the butt, I'm telling you. Hey, man, it's an ass fixation. And there's nothing wrong with it because uh, it's the... Uh, Nope, we're not going to go there because I'll have to cut that part out. But uh, like I said, Brad, man, this has been fun. I hope you had fun because I know I did. Yeah. Um, where can people go if, 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 if they're out there and saying, man, I wonder what Brad's up to today, man. Where can they go and find you on the Internet, social media wise? Just uh, I'd say Instagram. You know, I don't spend too much time on Twitter, but, you know, I've got a Twitter account, but it's all the same account. It's at Brad Abelson. Um, I've been posting a lot of cool, like fun minion stuff lately in fact one of the things i'm doing right now to promote the movie is they're asking like my studio is asking me to do drawings custom drawings for all the like celebrities who've been involved in either the movie itself or some of our promotional pieces and i think i mentioned to you earlier we're doing i like i'm doing an nba piece so during the nba finals um i directed i got to write and direct 
a commercial that we just created just for the NBA Finals that'll be on um, during the finals where the where where it's it's a commercial but it looks like you're coming in on like a sports center episode but it's the minions that are at the desk yeah. and they're talking about who's the greatest basketball player of all time and I won't give away the ending but like it's basically a debate about Michael Jordan LeBron James and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and so in doing this commercial we had to reach out to all three of those people they're not in the commercial but and even to say their name we had to reach out to all of their managers and just make sure they're cool with it and not only were they cool with it but like you know michael jordan's camp said you can even if you want like put some air jordans like the newest air jordans in the commercial so you'll see a minion wearing air jordans and kareem abdul jabbar was so excited that he um I'm, I'm butchering the story but long story short i ended up doing a drawing for lebron or for kareem abdul jabbar for his 75th birthday which he just posted on his um on his Instagram. So I put that on my Instagram. And then that's after doing that, my boss was like, how cool is it that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just like posted this Minions drawing? Why don't we do something for Eminem who just put his song in our soundtrack to congratulate him for getting into the Rock and Roll Roll Hall of Fame? So they asked me to do a drawing for Eminem and I'm like, no way Eminem is putting a Minion drawing on his Instagram. Like that would be the least hardcore thing you could do. He did it. He did it. I did a freaking minion drawing and Eminem posted it. And at first I was like, what is wrong with Eminem that he's posting this? And I kind of read the comments and everybody's like, this is the most Eminem thing you could possibly do. Not even acknowledge that you got into the rock and roll of fame, but throw a minion up on the, like on your social media to announce it. Like it's, I guess, apparently very on brand for Eminem. So yeah, my that that's like probably of all the things I've ever done, the the, the drawing that's gotten the most exposure. So that's that's on my Instagram too, if you want to check it out. Yeah, I saw that, dude. When I, when I saw that, I was so happy for you, man. Because I got to admit, <laughs> somebody like that craziest thing. I got to admit, you probably felt all giddy. You felt like a kid. I don't know if. Uh, Hell yeah, and I'm a big Eminem fan, so I I couldn't believe it. Yeah, he, his his uh not his last one, but Kamikaze. One of the that I I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan, so when, yeah, they, when they did when he did the cover for uh, the License to Ill album, I was like, oh man, that's so it's, it was it was just fun seeing that that album was dope as shit, man. Uh, but like I said, this has been real fun. There's no better way to end this, man, than he's been Brad. I've been Julian. This has been What's My Head podcast, and this is another piece of your childhood. Good night. Next week's guest is Disney animator Sandra Cluzo. Enjoy the sneak peek. So if you could go back in time, right, and you can work on any of the classic, maybe the first 20 years of Disney movies, is there one or two that stick out that you would absolutely love to work on if you could? Yeah, Pinocchio. Pinocchio? That water is it, so beautiful. No, for me, it's like um, um, perfection. Yes. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's Sometimes I, I, I watch the movie and I see the drawings on the, in books. Mm-hmm. And when I was at Disney, I remember, I don't know today, but when I was there at the time, they had the uh, animation research library. Mm-hmm. You could go there and uh, see original drawings from the time. You could ask for, can I see a, a scene of uh, Pinocchio, original? They would pull a, scene, a whole box with all the drawings. And I, I remember what, uh, looking at these drawings from Pinocchio and and I was like, oh, no, it's a lot of work here. It's not, 
it doesn't it's not something you can do, do in a week or yeah. two it, it, it takes time to do all these effects of water and in every every if you watch if if you flip the animations on paper or if you flip and you see all the water moving perfectly but every little you would color every little part of it it's mm -hmm. like for me it's all uh, it's art it's totally art it's not something they just did for uh for the movie it was an artistic piece you know yes it's something that we don't see much anymore and so for me it's perfection and uh, i'm always when i watch the movie it's always how can he how, how they could do that at that time you know yeah you know only a few years from if you think about what only a few years from uh steamboat willy you know yes the the, the the very stiff animation that they did only a few years to get to Pinocchio is so fast, you know. So for me, Pinocchio, yeah, I would say 